Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. Today's guest is Jan Lachelle. He is the COO of Snips. Now, if you don't know about Snips, you probably do for, for those listeners who've been either listening to the podcast for a while or those that are involved in the voice industry, you've probably come across Snips. But if you don't, Snips is leading the uh, European uh, charge in the voice assistant and AI space. Uh, and our guest today, Jan, he is a, he's a, such an interesting guy. Seriously, he's so knowledgeable. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's, he's founded and sold countless companies. He's now working with Snips, helping them build out their product offering. And we're going to be getting into detail about all things Snips, all things privacy in the voice space, uh, what the value proposition is for Snips and how it differs from some of the big players, some of the challenges that the small players, Snips, as well as Mycroft and Houndify and, and some of the others are facing and what the solutions to some of those challenges are. This is an episode that it's not one where we're going to be dishing out practical tips and insights. It's more of a real deep dive into the marketplace, into the AI industry, into edge computing, into we touch on, on blockchain um, and, and some of the things that SNPs are doing to try and counter the uh, the cloud-first approach that some of the uh, these companies are, have been built on. Uh, so this is Honestly, this is one to pay attention to. It is so fascinating. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jan Lachelle and this is VUX World. Jan Lachelle, welcome to VUX World. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. It's been a long time coming. We met in London a couple of months back, and for various reasons that we've had a baby that's arrived and all that sort of stuff. So I know we've had to kind of reschedule a few things and that. So really, really appreciate you uh, making the time and joining us today. Really excited for this. Hello there, Dustin as well. Dustin is here, of course. Hey, Kane. How's it going on your end? Yeah, good, good. You two, uh, you could be neighbours right now because Jan, you're in Paris as well, are you? We're based in Paris, yes. Most of the company is based here. Yes, and Dustin, you're, I'm presuming you're in Paris right now? Yeah, uh, I am uh, for the moment. So I think we're not far away from you. Cool. So, Jan, uh, tell the VUX World audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about what you do. Okay, so a bit about me. Uh, essentially, I started coding when I was 10 years old. So uh, I'm very much into tech. I'm 47 years old today. Today? Uh, so, yeah. Well, actually, no. Oh, a few, right. A few, a few weeks ago, but today <laughs> I'm 47. That means I've been dabbling in technology for the past 37 years. Um, and uh, I've always been working in software. So first as a, as a hacker, as a teenage hacker, and, uh, and later on as a computer scientist, uh, as an engineer in various companies working in financial software or cartoon animation industry. Uh, so that was for the first part of my career and uh, second part as an entrepreneur so I built a number of companies in uh, social networking in uh, mobile apps in uh, mobile advertising and uh, it's only later that I uh, joined SNPs as a COO um, and SNPs is um, a company that uh, you know builds voice assistance using AI and I was coding neural networks in 1992 on Next Machines. Uh, at the time, you know, uh, neural networks weren't, weren't very good. And uh, I didn't pursue that, uh, that route, but I was coding neural networks uh, you know, without much frameworks or anything. Uh, the theory was there, um, but it was not really, really impressive at the time. And you had to wait weeks and weeks for things to, to occur. So this is who I am, uh, you know, engineer, uh, software engineer, uh, entrepreneur, repeat entrepreneur, and with SNPs, uh, helping a team grow uh, their project and the company uh, with a very ambitious goal, which is to make technology disappear using AI. So this is me in a nutshell. Fantastic. And you're not lying about being an entrepreneur. Some people give themselves the, the, the title entrepreneur because it's quite cool, but uh, you look through your LinkedIn um 
your LinkedIn profile and it's founded this company, founded that company, founded co-founder, co-founder, owner. And it is literally, there's probably four or five companies that you've, that you've created and what presumably either sold or, or moved on or something like that. You've, you've been. Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. So I, I sold them all actually. This wow. is a, a pristine track record of uh, going full cycle. Um, because, you know, I, I'm fully aware that uh, startups are very fragile. Most of them don't make it. And what really matters is to be part of an ecosystem. When you think ecosystem, you think that your company will become, you know, uh, soil for the next generation to grow. So what really matters is to recycle the talent, recycle the ideas, make sure that you transform whatever you worked on. And building a startup is like building a product itself. A startup is a product that sells to another company that may need it, may need to accelerate or whatnot. Um, so today, I, I almost call myself a professional entrepreneur. In other words, you know, I, I, I do this for a living. I don't necessarily work for large groups because I don't see my value there. I see my value as uh, bringing an idea to fruition to the market. And if it grows, then great. Maybe I'm not the person to grow that, that particular company, maybe the next one. Um, but I certainly am a product person as well. And uh, very early in my, in my life, I was uh, you know, considering what software could bring uh, as a productivity improvement or uh, as a solution to solve something. So for me, software is, is a great enabler for that. And uh, I've been uh, given the ability to, to code from an early age. Uh, so that gave me a special power. <laughs> yeah and and so you mentioned something that was quite interesting there uh, you, around a startup building a, a product and being part of an ecosystem so the whole voice ecosystem seems to be growing uh you know quite rapidly certainly over this year how would you describe snips's position within the voice ecosystem so it's it's a complicated topic because voice is, isn't new uh, it's, it's been around for a while Voice synthesis has been around for 20, 30 years easily. Um, speech recognition, almost as long. It's more complex, but it's been around. Performance wasn't that great. And uh, adoption comes from a various set of vectors improving at the same time. Uh, remember when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, he actually said three times, repeating the three words, um, a phone, uh, an iPod, and a browser. And he said it three times. What this means is convergence, right? So, you know, phones had been around for a while. Um, the iPod and MP3 players had been around for a while. Browsers had been around for, for a while. But bringing the three together uh, creates a new paradigm shift, which became the smartphone economy for the past decade. Um, so, again, voice is, is, is one thing um, and was largely used for professional applications in niche markets. Um, some players, like if you think Nuance, Nuance is a player that's been around for a while. Uh, they've been around for 20 years, and no one knows of them, but they're established. Why? Because they've been growing uh, on various generations of technologies. Um, today, you know, the companies that are pushing voice are typically um, Apple first, because Apple came up with Siri first in a mass market uh, value proposition. So Siri is the first instance of a general purpose mass, massively distributed voice assistant. And of course, Google followed suit. So the, the voice ecosystem starts, and we have to thank the, you know, the Googles and Apples of the world that have brought this technology to the market. And we, we could question whether we're just at the beginning, or if we're about to reach a plateau, um, it's questionable. The, the first, uh, I'm pretty sure everyone remembers when Siri was launched, it wasn't that great. People were deceived. And I think there will, there will be a long way until we have true general purpose assistance. And SNPs is positioned as, a, as an alternative. Why? Because we've created a technology that is built on one constraint. And that constraint is privacy by design. In other words, what the companies that I mentioned earlier, the platforms, the big platforms, 
they, they were created 20 years ago or more, which means that they were created with the idea of cloud-centric uh, architectures. And SNPs was created five years ago by three PhDs in machine learning. Uh, and I met them when I joined the company three and a half years ago. But these guys were Generation Y and Generation Z, right? And these guys, they've had enough of the cloud model. They've had enough of companies, um, you know, sucking all of the data from them and building models on top of them without being fully transparent about the value that was brought to them. Uh, so typical, you know, free, free to play and monetizing on your back. So this paradigm created some sort of an unease where what can we do to actually provide technology that enhances our lives in a way that does not invade my privacy? And so this is how SNPs was created. What can we do with AI to build personal assistance that respect my privacy? And when you look at the voice ecosystem, and so let's talk about general purpose consumer voice assistants like uh, Google Home and, and, and Siri and, and Alexa, they are built not as smart speakers, they are built as smart microphones, right? The device itself isn't smart. It's a smart microphone. And so in a, in a way, it's a always on microphone surveillance system. <laughs> and this is where we reach the point or the threshold where the comfort zone may not be great for everybody. It's not for me. I don't know for you, but you know, the benefits of using these, these assistants today may start to become very interesting. The entertaining value is there for sure. Uh, the usage is being developed, but the point is, um, for some people, it's an absolutely no way. And so SNPs provides a different way to provide voice assistance by dealing with the, the voice processing on the edge. And it's interesting because if you, if you hear about new trends, edge computing, blockchain, you know, voice processing like we do, this is part of a new momentum. This is part of a new trend. Edge is the new cloud. Blockchain decentralizes what otherwise uh, was, was centralized. So we are reaching a new moment in the evolution of computing where uh, people are innovating in a radically or orthogonal way, and SNPs is part of that movement. So blockchain, AI, decentralized edge, edge computing, um, it's a new, new way of bringing certain things such as voice, and SNPs clearly was created later than the other guys. So we're benefiting from uh, the technology, the algorithms, the data that was made available to us. So we're going a little faster with that. We caught up with the state of the art uh, when it comes to voice uh, recognition. Mm. Go on, Dustin, looks like you're shaping up there. <laughs> And, and so outside of the privacy, obviously, the privacy is an important thing. Although I think we're seeing a lot of people are happy to put these devices without worrying too much about privacy in their homes. Uh, are there other benefits that uh, that come about because SNPs is going to be on that device? Absolutely. And in fact, you know, it's one thing to say privacy is a feature in France or Europe. Uh, it's one thing to say it in China and in the U.S. It, it brings different uh, you know, different value uh, to uh, to the alphabet. No, clearly, this constraint is our DNA. Now, we built it so that it was working on the edge, which solves a huge problem. We actually make it so small that it fits on a tiny computer. Therefore, there is no dependency on the cloud. Therefore, there is huge resilience to internet outages, which means it works when Cloud is not available, so think uh, you know, the devices or vehicles that move at uh, fast speed, think planes. Uh, we're talking to a submarine manufacturer. <laughs> you know, so on, on the edge, in, on the device, uh, voice assistance when it comes to those devices is critical. Think security. Devices that are autonomous, individually operated, are much harder to breach because Hackers are mostly interested when the stakes are high. 
So they tend to attack cloud operations because they can access many, many different accounts and tap different feeds. When there's an edge device, you have to attack each edge. And the cost to attack is much harder. So you do find a lot of value by providing an, a decentralized model. And if you think about the network cost, think about when you have to you know, compel your Alexa to turn on the light. Your voice is being shipped to Seattle to turn on your light at home. It's a binary switch that if it can work locally, it should work locally. There's no reason your voice should be shipped across the planet, impl implicating cost of bandwidth and so on and so forth. Uh, again, what we're doing today was not possible a couple of years ago. So the model that Alexa brings to the table made, made sense a few years ago. And do you get any personalization benefits as well by the fact that this lives on the device? Or are we going to get better uh, speech to text, rec speech recognition, speech to text conversion, entity and intent detection as well? So this is a, a novelty for us. Uh, I'm glad you bring this up because it's, it's actually very technical. But um, when you talk about voice assistance and voice recognition, uh, you have to distinguish the different modules. The first module is the wake word, where you you call out for the assistant, Alexa, um, hey, Snips. Uh, this is a typical wake word. Uh, we build wake words for our customers. So it could be, could be anything. That's the wake word. Then there's the ASR, automatic speech recognition. And then there's the NLU part, and then the dialogue part. Now, the ASR uh, is the oldest piece uh, that, was, that existed uh, throughout the uh, the time and the ASR used to be mono speaker. Then it became multi speaker or speaker agnostic and typically used for transcription. So the ASRs were calibrated for full vocabulary. And as you perhaps know, Microsoft uh, features the lowest word error rate in its ASR. It's like 4%. So technically, Microsoft's ASR is better than the human ear at listening to words. But the thing is, the human brain is capable of understanding much better than Microsoft ASR is. Why? Because of context, because we have memory, because we have a cognitive system that allows us to discern you know, in a subtle way the difference between a word and the other when, in fact, they're uh, homonyms, but you know, in terms of the sense and meaning, it's not. Um, what we've done is build an ASR that is configured and miniaturized and specialized to the use case. So that means that we'll, we'll hear the words that are meant to be heard in a much, much more obvious way with very little mistakes. So the performance is, is increased. And recently, because we, we have the constraint of being on device, it means we don't have typical cloud-based feeds, right? What we can do, however, is inject dynamically into our ASR local vocabulary, which gives us the ability to personalize the ASR. So one of the most complex use cases around is the, the music assistant uh, use case. And uh, as you know, you know musical tastes uh, varies per individual, and catalogs include millions of items. And uh, the way to pronounce uh, artists and composers and musicians and singers varies from one country to another. And we listen to international tunes quite a bit. Uh, actually, just one example that springs to mind. In France, everyone says Michael Jackson, which sounds correct. They should actually be saying Michael Jackson if they were to say it phonetically as a French word. They don't because it turns out uh, you know, they say it properly. But... Um, if you have an ASR for French, it will have a hard time. We, we have built a system that actually manages to inject local um, vocabulary, local um, slots and intents, um, so that the ASR is customized to you. And so we have the disadvantage of not being centrally dispatched. We have the advantage of being able to provide an, an ear, a voice assistant that has an ear that is calibrated to you. How does that work in practice then? So 
for example, if you need to collaborate the ASR for every use case, then are you are you talking kind of in a in a B2B environment? For example, if you were to put snips in a coffee machine, then you would do it there. Or are you talking in a kind of B2C environment? So if some I know that you're looking at releasing a, a smart speaker soon. Is that something that a user would have to do? Is they would have to cal- calibrate their own ASR side of things? Does that make sense? How do you go about act- how how does that work in practice? Um, let me use a different use case. Um, right now, when you ask uh, Siri or Google to call someone in your address book, what's happening is that your voice is being shipped to the ASR, and the ASR cloud side has to reconcile uh, the general general purpose ASR with the words that are in your address book. So the resolution is done on the NLP, NLU side, leading to confusion. In our case, if the ASR is local, let's say a smart speaker that is also perhaps a, even a, a you know, home phone, if your address book is loaded locally, the ASR will, will take a cue from your address book, words, including exotic names, which is very difficult to solve, and will accurately recognize them, you know, dynamically. So we, we actually do retraining of the ASR using actual text injection. So the user doesn't have to do anything, but the integrator or whoever develops the product has to create some sort of a dynamic process where you take uh, the things that change that need to be recognized. So let's say you have a coffee machine, and the coffee machine um, you know, you can ask it to do uh, tea and coffee, and the manufacturer suddenly adds chocolate, right? Then chocolate has to come with an update over the air, and that's injected into the model, and it's solved. How does so? How would that work then? If um, if it happens on the edge, which correct me if I'm wrong, would mean that it happens on the device without being needed to be connected to to the cloud. How do how would a manufacturer of that coffee machine get that chocolate update onto the device if everything happens on the device? Presumably, there's some sort of connection to the internet in some way, shape, or form. Yes. So, again, Snips was you know was built with the idea of processing the voice on the device. It doesn't mean the device is not connected. In fact, it's up to the device manufacturer to decide if it's connected to the cloud. Now. Take the example of a coffee machine. You go to the shop, you buy the coffee machine, you plug it in, and, and the device manufacturer says, oh, sorry, you have to have an account on Amazon Alexa. It's kind of a bummer. forces you to be with one school or the other. Now, with, with SNPs, we're proposing to put SNPs, say, in a coffee machine. You buy the coffee machine, you plug it in, and it comes with a defined set of features. It will work without connectivity for the next 10 years, no problem. No questions asked, and no dependency on any third-party service. Now, that's good for the coffee or device manufacturer. If the coffee is connected, and actually, why not use the voice to actually set up the Wi-Fi password? That would be cool. Um, but if you connect the machine, then the, the machine is suddenly connected, and you can tell it, um, hey, George, uh, update your firmware now. Right? And George can say, sorry, I have no connectivity, or I have connectivity, I'm updating the software. And by the way, there's a new item that, uh, that was loaded. So the item can be the update over the air, or the model, because SNPs is, a, is both a piece of software and a model. Right? So we can update the model for the manufacturer, so they can have V2 of the model shipped over the air if the device is ever connected or brought back to, you know, to service. It's an option. So building core functionalities within the device makes a lot of sense. Upgrading, of course, requires some sort of a connectivity uh, at some point. But that's, you know, that's again, it's a choice. Having on-device brings core functionalities out of the box. Connectivity brings transactional value, which you would have no matter what in any connected device. And our... Are there any specialized hardware requirements for these devices? Can I can I put this on a Raspberry Pi if I wanted to? Yes. So we we started uh, using the Raspberry Pi as the benchmark or reference design for us. 
And uh, the Raspberry Pi allowed us, in fact, to, um, to be in relationship with 15,000 developers uh, who, who you know, found in our platform. Um, and as you know, you know the make makers, uh, either Arduino or Raspberry Pi, are uh, furiously independent and not necessarily work with uh, the Google and Alexa platforms. And so our technology, which uh, includes the ASR and the natural language understanding, can run on Raspberry Pi, no problem. And Raspberry Pi is a typical cheap CPU device. Um, we've also made uh, created a new product which works on uh, microcontrollers, MCUs. So this is new, and we we now are capable building including wake words inside a tiny, tiny chip. You're talking the full package, including microphone and, and speakers, um, would typically be below $10. And we have announced a, a demo. In fact, there's a blog post on our, on our site, as well as NXP's uh, website, a um, description of that product. So NXP uh, is our first partner uh, for such a, a stack. And that stack can be implemented in any device, not necessarily providing true voice assistance, but instead voice commands. Because whether we want it or not, the voice is coming to us. It'll be everywhere, and consumers will be expecting voice commands everywhere. So we also have, let's say, you know, an entry-level product with voice commands, maybe sequential, not natural language yet, uh, but that's that's a super tiny requirement. And the minimal requirement for proper NLU is indeed a CPU with a one gigahertz uh, processor, typically one gigabyte of, of RAM, uh, and there you can do magic already. Mm. That's interesting. So we, we've you mentioned two things at the beginning. One was edge computing, which we've kind of covered in terms of everything being handled on the on the device. The other thing was blockchain. Now that's another thing that gets kind of like thrown around, and and I think a lot of people talk about it, and it's a, it's a very sort of popular sort of topic at the moment. And I seen a uh, an article that was on TechCrunch, and I'll put the link in the um in the show notes. It was around how SNPs are either considering or are going to be using uh blockchain. Can you tell us a little bit about uh about blockchain and about how SNPs are considering using blockchain in in the in the work that you're doing? Yes, so if you look at the ecosystem of uh, voice technologies at large, um, a lot of it is driven by Alexa's marketing budget and Google's marketing budget and Apple's marketing budget. And these guys are competing with each other uh, fiercely. Right? They, they are trying to protect a thousand billions of valuations against each other and you know, if you smooth, if you've managed to get into the head of, of those guys, either they're colluding or they're trying to outcompete the others. Uh, something really, really dangerous for the rest of you know the technologies, fields, and innovation, uh, venture capital or not, is these companies are swallowing up everything, like black holes, including data, and they're preventing other companies to emerge. So. Um, we think that the play is, has to be on a level playing field. And we realize that we've managed to actually attract 15,000 developers. And these people actually developed up to 25,000 voice assistants, whether it's just uh, you know, a little hack or uh, a tentative learning exp expedition or whatnot doesn't matter. We have 25,000 voice assistants of some sorts registered on our website. And we thought, well, it sounds like we have probably the number one developer community after the big platforms. And when you go talk to even an enterprise client, you find out that the decision maker is not the one, the one cutting the check. It's the developer who's actually spent the time digging around, and again, Google and Amazon and Apple, we love them dearly, 
right? They, they make great products, but they also have the ability to provide for free massive value to developers and then leverage that. So we decided that in order for us to be significant at scale, we should leverage the power of that community. And we thought, how can we provide also an alternative to Alexa in a way that brings value at the level that people expect, which is you know, uh, performing uh, well, understanding intense, uh, wide and large, providing value such as casual things, uh, you know, what's the weather like and uh, simple math calculations and all that. Well, we thought we just have to, to, to transfer the value of our developer community to a decentralized app store. And so this is how the blockchain came naturally to us. If we push the thinking that edge computing is good for consumers, then why not decentralize the app store? And you know, I've worked in the app economy for a while, uh, the app stores are definitely not long tail. They only promote the top 1% of the app stores. It's not even 80-20. It's 99 right? uh, So app stores are flawed because they are centrally managed. So we thought about this community that we have. We thought about this technology that we have, the core technology. And we thought the blockchain is the perfect way to distribute the next generation of apps. And these are voice apps, of course. So we, we thought about this, this puzzle, this multi-dimensional puzzle, and we decided to, uh, to launch a token sale around that. So the token will be the, the token of exchange so that you can use it to acquire apps. You can use it to share uh, your CPU cycles for machine learning. You can use it to share your, uh, to, to be paid back in a way uh, for the data that you share and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a whole economy around the blockchain, the blockchain itself uh, holding um, the, and managing the currency itself uh, with a truly decentralized um, and uh, dedicated blockchain. Hmm. How, will, how would that help um, you mentioned that the app stores promote the top 1%. And that's one of the things that gets spoke about quite a lot is the whole discoverability thing. It's really hard to find, for example, Alexa skills uh, or Google Assistant actions if there's there's 50,000 of them and they only ever promote the top. It's probably not even the top 1% actually because it, it's probably the top 20 or 30, isn't it? Um, so in what, how will that discovery discoverability side of things work in practice on snips because of the blockchain and what way will the blockchain help so in practice how will discovering functionality for snips actually happen how, how, how would you describe the, the the processor so um if you wish there's a white paper 100 pages long that describes this so the the token sale uh the token sale is some sort of a kickstarter project if you wish huh? uh, we we are um, we have created the notion of uh, limited supply of 10 billion tokens, and we're currently selling 1 billion of them to fund this B2C project. And this B2C project will uh, take the form of a dedicated blockchain. And on the blockchain, we will build mechanisms where the, the tokenomics, the economics of the platform, including the peer-to-peer -peer validation of the apps, including the reviews of the apps, uh, will be self-governed. In other words, the, the blockchain and the smart contracts, for instance, typically allow for transparent and self-governance. So this is all this described in the white paper. It's quite extensive. But again, it's not built yet. Right? So we, we have the blueprint. And um, once we, we finalize uh, and reach the soft cap, you know, typical of ICOs, uh, we will go full throttle ahead. And our, on our website, there's a short video, a one-minute video, that uh, gives you a preview of what we have in mind. You know, the device itself does not exist yet, but it, it gives you uh, a good idea of, of our approach. It's a one-minute video. It's quite, uh, quite nice, actually. 
we'll link we'll link to that in the in the show notes and also that white paper that you mentioned um that that kind of explains it. if anyone wants the the actual detail um you know if you can whip us over the link we can we can put it in the show notes and and people can find uh find it there and then clearly you know the white paper is pretty extensive about our our ambition we want the machine learning to be fully distributed and anonymized in other words no one owns anyone's data and the models improve by using uh, federated machine learning and uh, we've, we've done quite a bit of work on, on encryption so that you can encrypt the object that is being computed upon uh, and it's not decrypted but it's nevertheless used for machine learning um before we before we move on dustin have you got any other further queries on on the snip side of things no, I think there's a there's a lot we could dig into. We could talk about this for hours. Uh, one thing that I am interested in is, uh, let's say we not we don't want to do a device, right? Uh, one of the things that developers come across all the time is the mobile side is is just such a pain on the on voice. Uh, does Snips have something to offer there as well? Well, so on device means on device, and a, and a smartphone is a device. So our technology works equally well on a Raspberry Pi, on, um, on an NXP IMX8 platform, works equally well on an iOS device, works equally well on an, any Android device. And you can think TVs. TVs have uh, often an Android stack and can easily put snips inside that. Now, um, that's for the edge side of things. Again, snips is a runtime plus a model. We've done the hard part. It's quite easy to put this on a server. Right, so we are currently, because of our approach, we do not wish to provide a SaaS service. Right? But on-premises is very much on the roadmap. So if you're a company that wants to have you know, a centralized processing um, of, of your voice services, because perhaps the device itself is low-powered and you cannot, you cannot afford to, to deploy um, costly edge architectures in that case then maybe that's the right solution so we have it in the roadmap but i'm thinking you know banks and insurance companies banks and insurance companies they've they've played quite a bit with chatbots they've played quite a bit with amazon alexa uh, and and google home when it comes to rolling it out the the it and security and compliance department says no way they do not want to have voice interaction from their clients to go through a third party. So on-premises makes perfect sense. And you know, I think pretty much all of us trust our banks to keep our data safe. At least they do best efforts for sure. And they've done that for a long time. So when you look at your app on your smartphone, looking for your bank transactions, there is no edge computing there. It's just a view and everything's stored on the server. Well, if you talk to your bank on the phone or if you talk to your voice assistant and your voice is being processed on their cloud, that's probably fine as well. So banks and insurance companies are not creating a vortex of data capture. They, they have that data already. And it's all about the transaction that you do uh, on the back, on the back end through your credit cards or, or otherwise. So, you know, we do have solutions for hybrid cases, but when you think of the design of the application, the use case, then it might make sense to have a hybrid approach, being able to actually answer queries locally, but also defer to the cloud in some cases. So, you know, we provide a solution that solves many, many headaches, that's for sure. And in Europe, with GDPR, uh, you know, voice is a very sensitive issue. Voice is a biometric marker. There's no reason it should be floating around the web. Are you finding that's that's the primary concern where, with with the enterprise is that it's a trust thing between the big players who you mentioned, Google, Amazon, etc., and the company in question? Is that what you, the main thing that you're finding is that that it's a trust thing between the company and, and Alexa not wanting to send send their data over to to Seattle? No, frankly, I think um, the issues today is that. Google and Amazon and Apple are going way too fast. And companies are worried they need to jump on the bandwagon, but at the same time, 
they know they risk to become satellites of those companies. So it's a real issue, right? And again, SNPs is, is building a solution in a way that was not possible a couple of years ago, right? Because they, simply we didn't have the, the algorithms or the data or the, 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 the computing power on the edge. So we bring a new type of solution. It's orthogonal. But companies uh, have a headache solving this, right? Uh, who's distributing the voice assistant? Do they have a device? Do they have a roadmap for a device with the proper computing power? If I'm a coffee machine maker, do I have the proper CPU? No, probably I just have a microcontroller. That's all you need for buttons. But we're talking about the interface here. We're talking about the interface between the user and the service or product. And that interface is critical. Think about cars. Cars are quite amazing products. And you have teams that have spent thousands of man years building the perfect cockpit. And what do we do when we get in? We take our smartphone, slap it in the, in the suction cup, and, and, and there it goes, right? Thousands of man years of cockpit design just flushed down the toilet. Uh, so these companies are going too fast then. And car manufacturers are in a bind. You know, a lot of them were trying not to sign with Alexa, not to sign with Google. And they don't like to have to ship to customers, uh, you know, Google Car and uh, CarPlay. They, they don't want to, but they have to because that's what customers demand. And by doing so, they're probably giving up their future revenue. Because cars are not longer going to be owned. And if cars become self-driving, they will become the perfect multimedia center to capture your attention for the duration of your ride. So it's, it's a real critical issue here. And what we're offering is sovereignty. We're offering sovereignty to the device manufacturers, to the service providers, by owning the interface in some way. So, you know, SNPs is, is really a wide-branded technology that allows that. Coffee machines, cars, are operated with steering wheels and buttons. When you touch a steering wheel, it's yours. It's not sucked away in terms of operation. When you press a button, there's no GDPR issue. Your thumbprint is not being you know, taken and analyzed elsewhere. Well, voice interfaces replace buttons. And that interface should not be delegated to some massive, gigantic uh, centralization vortex. I was just going to say, Jan, I think you touched on uh, what I think is actually a really interesting debate, but maybe one that doesn't get talked about too much uh, with Alexa, with Siri, with Google Assistant being so sexy uh, in the in the press. But you've got, obviously, you've got Snips, you've got uh, Mycroft, who Kane, you and I have spoken with before. You've got Houndify. Uh, so you've got this this group of companies who are trying to tackle just that, who are trying Absolutely. to give companies, give companies choice. Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, and choice is critical because that's what is going to keep uh, the bigger companies uh, in check. Choice is good because uh, not everything is one size fits all. For instance, SNPs is, by virtue of being very, very specialized, uh, is perfect for uh, very arcane or very specific vocabulary. Right? And typically, Google and Apple, they don't care about the, you know, the niche market. They're, they're consumer-oriented. So you need various solutions, that's for sure. Um, but we, at, you know, at SNPs, and SNPs is probably, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong, but the only European company with such a value proposition in terms of the stack. Right? We don't do text-to-speech. Um, but in terms of providing the full stack to implement a voice assistant, we're the only European company. When do we get to have some sovereignty in Europe? Right? How do we influence the game? How do we, so, you know, we have this ambition to, to be a major player in the field. And in some cases, um, other countries are suffering. Uh, and we decided to, um, to build support for Japanese. So we started commercializing the solution in Japan last June. And Japanese companies are also too dependent on uh, the West Coast of, of the U.S., and Japanese companies and Korean companies are worried about China being too dominant, right? And I think Europe uh, has 
an interesting contribution to bring to the table. In Europe, we are complicated. In Europe, we have a lot of neighboring countries that don't speak the same language. In Europe, I, I believe that we have a distinct understanding and we are able to distinguish between what is moral and what is legal. In the U.S., it's a little more uh, you know, directed by what is illegal. So, therefore, what is not illegal is moral in the U.S. And in China, well, it's, you know, the state is right. So, in Europe, we can build solutions that respect people in a different way. And in fact, I, um, I'm sort of disappointed that the GDPR issue or the regulation doesn't raise the debate about a different type of digital society. Europe could be that digital society, Renaissance 2.0. You know, we are in Europe, the, the children of the Renaissance, where, you know, there is no, no one imposes a particular uh, thought process. And California, with all its, its great achievements in tech, has a, has a way to think that is perhaps not very subtle. In fact, there is a backlash, even in California. You have a lot of people, even people early on uh, working at, at uh, those great companies, rebelling against uh, their former employers. And they, they are acutely aware they've created monsters. So, you know, you can loop in all of that. You can, you can also think about uh, women in AI, you know, who are the people building the technologies of tomorrow? And voice is a critical piece of that. Mm. There's, there's already I'm pretty sure that the guys that built Viv were kind of like on some sort of I don't think warpath might be the wrong word but pretty sure they got frustrated with Siri and kind of hopped away and started building Viv didn't they? I think that's how all that kind of started I can see exactly what you mean and and uh, Dustin you mentioned the, the, the other players Houndify and, and Mycroft and obviously Snips from, from Europe Jan, you said earlier on around the budgets that, that these companies are throwing at this thing. So, I mean, Google, every major event that's happened, uh, you know, you can go right the way back to the uh, CES at the very beginning of the year and Google were advertising like crazy. They've continued advertising throughout the year. Amazon, you know, I, I've seen, I'm seeing adverts on TV all the time for, for Alexa. Um, so that's... Those companies are the companies who are, who have the purse strings, so to speak. So they're kind of in everybody's living rooms and, and promoting it wildly. Um, for businesses who, who are looking for other options, obviously, if all you're seeing is Google and Amazon all the time, it's very difficult to, to understand that there might be other stuff there that might be able to serve your needs better. And these uh, systems like SNPs and, and, and some of the others, you, you can do a lot more with them because they're not quite as locked down as, as Alexa and Google uh, might be. So you've probably got a lot more customization options in terms of being able to develop something that, that fully meets your needs. What I'm getting around to, Jan, is what do you think is the the challenge, obviously, is that you've got huge players with huge budgets, what is some of the solutions, do you think, for, for SNPs and for some of the other kind of uh, either open source players or smaller players? What's, what's the kind of, what's the kind of, not the secret, but what's the, the um, solution for, for kind of raising awareness or for, um, you know, competing with, with those big players? Well, I mean, one of the solutions we found is, is open sourcing, of course. Open sourcing is a way to... Um, to reach people who will be decision makers down the line. Um, when people appreciate your stack, uh, they get used to it and they, they see how you think. Uh, and again, every solution is quite different. Um, so we've actually open sourced uh, the entire NLU piece because we started off there and we thought that this is not where uh, there's a huge difference, except that ours runs on a super small computer does not need big servers. So people looking for performance, they'll find it with our you know, NLU stack. Uh, but NLU is, is not the hardest piece to solve in the puzzle. Uh, so this is one way to, to achieve uh, critical mass, uh, picking a, a specific audience. So we, we started off with the, the makers. And uh, makers are you know, really focused on independence and the device itself. Uh, so that made sense. 
But at the end of the day, uh, we are startup uh, and uh, capital is the name of the game. In other words, how do we go from you know, a company with 60 people and uh, we, we have extreme talent in the company. This is crazy. I mean, I'm so, so proud of the team and so, uh, so thrilled to be working with them on a daily basis. They, they beat expectations. They catch up with the state of the art. It's, 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 it's amazing. But talent is critical. And at some point I was thinking with, with Rand, the CEO, that you know, probably we, sh- we need to grow through the UK because the UK is next door. And in the UK, you can attract talent that do not speak French or do not want to speak French. And you know, most of the planet speaks English as a second language, certainly in, in high tech. Um, so how do we grow capital, talent? The problem is that Google and Samsung and Amazon, uh, they are creating R&D centers and poaching the talent in every other, you know, in Paris. Uh, Google just opened an office, an R&D uh, office in Paris uh, this week, focusing on AI. Yeah, and Facebook is working on voice as well. So uh, it's a race. It's a race. Our closest competitor, SoundHound, raised ten times more than us in Silicon Valley. The Silicon Valley is a problem for the rest of us because if you don't move there, you don't get the same sort of financing either. But I don't believe that we have to move to the U.S. I believe that the finan- you know, financing chain is properly organized in Europe. We're backed by the government, for instance. We've been selected as one of the key companies in a, in a key vertical, namely AI. But uh, again, sovereignty, uh, people are starting to realize that they need more of that. And I'm, I'm pretty liberal in my, uh, in, you know, in my views, and, uh, and I don't like the idea of protectionism. But the U.S. is very protectionist. China is supremely protectionist. In Europe, we are not protectionist at all. Not at all. So I, I'm thinking, you know, if a company in France or Europe were to choose a solution, if SNPs is equally good, they should choose SNPs. But not because they are nationalistic in principle, but because they need to help companies that can become their allies in building more choice, create employment locally, pay taxes locally, as you know, some of these big platforms don't pay taxes easily because, you know what, they have great people that are being uh, paid to optimize taxes and to lobby and all these things. So, again, it's all about global citizenship. How do we create something a little more distributed, decentralized, more evened out? And uh, one of the things I regret in Europe is that we still don't have our Small Business Act. I don't, know, I don't know if you have one in the UK in particular. But a Small Business Act in the US typically means that a uh, you know, quota of the business needs to be reserved for small businesses, small companies. So therefore, a lot of the budgets are going to be routed to small companies so that they can grow. And of course, those companies are local because the Small Business Act is meant to help local companies. Now, we have none of that in France. We have none of that in Europe. And that's crazy. You know, this is, this is, but again, it has nothing to do with voice. It has to do with startups and large, you know, scale-ups. In Europe, we don't produce enough scale-ups. Why? Because we don't feed them. But anyways, we, you know, Steps is, is raising capital, uh, has capital, is being backed by uh, amazing uh, funds that understand the vision, the vision and... Uh, what's at stake, and also understand the opportunity. So the, the, the startup ecosystem in France, certainly, but also in Europe, has matured dramatically in the past 10 years. Hmm. And, and, and it's only, I mean, I've been reading recently about 
Paris in particular uh, being a really, really kind of vibrant startup place. And I think London is is kind of probably not far behind it, or maybe even a bit in front. I'm not not sure really. But I think Europe is 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 you know there's there's a lot going on in Europe. I think Paris and and France is in the voice space. There's a lot there's a lot seeming to be going on, and certainly Germany are really enthusiastic about it. The UK are, are starting to to kind of get on board. So I think that maybe the consumer behaviour uh, is probably slightly behind what the US is. But then that's probably where the opportunities are for for companies like Snips is that. It's the voice in, from a consumer perspective and the awareness from a consumer perspective is is nowhere near what it is in America. So as that grows, as the device adoption grows, as people start getting more comfortable talking to stuff, you know, the market is going to just grow and grow and grow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Kane, I think you bring up an interesting point is companies are, at least in Europe, fighting uphill a little bit. Uh, I was speaking with a company a while back and they were talking about if we look in mobile, which is, you know, mobile has been around for a while, but it's a, it's a bit of an indicator, I think, on tech savviness, perhaps. Uh, they were seeing that, saying that in Japan, I think it was 90% of their traffic was on mobile, and that meant uh, about 90% of the revenue, too. In the U.S., it was, I think, 60% on mobile and maybe 70% of revenue. Uh, here in Europe, uh, excluding the U.K., they said, it was about... 40% mobile and 25% of revenue. Uh, so you see that uh, it's, it's definitely coming along, I think, but it still have, still have a ways to go, I think. Absolutely. And, and Europe is, is more complicated and you know, who's better than a European to understand it and deploy services here. Uh, and in the US, typical companies focus on a single market, large single market, build scale, and then they bulldoze over Europe uh, with a lot of capital and momentum. So here it's a little more complex, but I think uh, we have things to offer, different things to offer. Yeah, sure. I think I think yeah, hundred percent. I think that everything that you've discussed in terms of the SNPs offering and, and how it all works and, and the vision and, and the plans, I think it's really inspiring. And I, I definitely definitely will be keeping an eye out uh, for SNPs over the coming years. And I wish you and SNPs all the best. And thank you so much for joining us, Jan. It's been such an interesting conversation. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Because, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, as you said, fascinating, but also I think it's a... It, Everyone, citizens alike, uh, developers and decision makers, there's a, there's a question here at the core, which is the, the future of computing. It's mental. I'll put, I'll put, the, um, I'll put the, the SNPs uh, link for the website and the, the white paper and the, uh, the video you mentioned. Any other places you want to send people, uh, you know, if people want to kind of reach out to you or reach out to SNPs, what's the, what's the best ways for them to, to kind of either get in touch or follow, you, follow your progress? Yeah, it's pretty easy to, to join the Discord group if you're a developer. If you are tempted to see how the technology works, you can easily create an account uh, on the console uh, and start building. Uh, but uh, we're, we're all pretty available and accessible. Fantastic. Jan, thank you so much. Dustin, thank you as well. Yeah, this was great. Thanks so much. Thanks, bro. That was Jan Lachelle, COO of SNPs. Wow. What an interesting conversation that was. We did want to discuss AI in general, but I think there was so much detail in covering SNPs and, and the product offering and, and blockchain and edge computing and, and all of these kind of things that we discussed is so, so interesting. I do think that um, SNPs, as well as some of the others, Mycroft and Houndify, I really do think that there is a significant uh, place in the market for these companies. Uh, increasingly, uh, people are concerned about uh, privacy. You've got the Cambridge Analytica situation that happened with Facebook and all of a sudden this year everyone just seems to be switched on about privacy and I don't think that's going to go anywhere anytime soon. When you start getting into the enterprise, privacy, security, all of that stuff is fundamental challenges for the likes of Google and Amazon uh, and, and, and even Apple and, and probably even Microsoft as well with Cortana. It is, it is a fundamental challenge um, because the enterprise don't want to be sending all of their data to Amazon, I don't think. Um, 
I remember Josh Montgomery said that whether you like it or not, if you're in business, one of these days you're probably going to end up competing with Amazon. <laughs> and uh, and I think that people might be reluctant uh, on the enterprise side to, to go down the Amazon route. So I 100% see value in in snips and the product offering and what they're trying to do and as i said i think that the this market is only going to grow and it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger so the scope and opportunity for snips is only going to grow with it as well really interested to see what they do with this whole blockchain thing still trying to get my head around blockchain it seems to be something that gets uh, spoken about a hell of a lot i still don't fully get what the situation is but i think uh, it sounds it sounds certainly does sound interesting to have a, a decentralized and a, a self-governed app store uh, as well as you know the open source model that they're looking at doing as well um, really, really interesting times. I wish Sniffs all the best. I hope that I hope Jan. I hope I see you soon, uh, either in London or in Paris. Thank you so much for joining us, Jan. Thank you, Dustin, as well for co-hosting. And as always, boys and girls, thank you so much for listening. I genuinely mean that. Thank you so much. Uh, until next time, see you later. <laughs>